We continue in our series on Acts. Acts is a continuation of the story of Jesus that was started in the Gospel of Luke. And I want us to remember what we talked about last week because there's a lot of good news. And the good news is that Jesus saves hopeless cases. That was last Sunday. We remembered the man who had been lame from birth. He was over 40 years old. Peter and John went to him. He was begging in front of the temple, looked at him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. He did. He was leaping and praising God. It was a hopeless case. And then Peter himself, remembering what he was like when he betrayed his own best intentions with Jesus and promised to never leave his side or betray him, and yet he did be denied even knowing him and considered himself a hopeless case, intimidated by the high priest family when Jesus was arrested. And yet then he was completely transformed and not intimidated anymore as he was forced to be imprisoned and, um, in, and interrogated and then in this last chapter flogged, uh, but not intimidated by that either, still rejoicing in the Lord, trusting God. It's good news for us because we are facing our own hopeless situation, uh, maybe in your own life personally, but certainly on a macro scale as a nation and even around the world as protests continue um, about police brutality and about uh, systemic racism and how is this going to change and will it change? And maybe even this Sunday feeling even more hopeless when there's another killing in Atlanta and just wondering what is ever going to turn this around. And yet we remember how Jesus saves hopeless cases and cares about systemic injustice. In this book of Acts, throughout this book of Acts, we will see how relevant this topic is as we move through the summer in this book. And remembering the drama that began at the book of Acts in chapter 2 when the Spirit was poured out on the disciples and the first thing they did was to go out into the streets and speak many languages that they'd never learned, but that was important to the Spirit of Jesus, that these languages were communicating in their own native tongue the greatness of God's love. So that was exciting in Acts 2. But if you stop and think about it, all these diverse languages and these diverse cultures and these diverse worldviews and ways of being, when you really try to make them all come together, it's a big hot mess. And so we see some of that in this chapter, in Acts chapter 6. We see how in the first half, the Spirit of God is leading, and it goes well. You can see what God's Spirit has in mind. And then in the last half of this chapter, it doesn't go so well. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we will listen to the scripture in Acts chapter 6. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you are present with each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and your deepest longing is for us to hear you and know you and live out your love in this world. So we pray that your word would come alive to us right now. Amen. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, the whole chapter. Listen to God's word to you. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes, and then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So an interesting chapter for us, and I want us to look at the first half and to remember what the problem was there. Just to read the verse, it says, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So remembering perhaps what you know about widows in that culture, the ones most vulnerable, widows and orphans, because women did not have any power, they had no vote, they had no rights, they basically were the property of the men, and if they had lost their husband and they didn't have a brother or someone in their family who was male to take care of them, they were at enormous risk. They had no livelihood, they had no way to be protected. And so you see this oppressive system for the women, um, and also you see that they are Hellenists. So who are the Hellenists? They are people who speak only one language, and that language is the Greek language. There were quite a few Hellenists in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, the tongue that was spoken by and large was Aramaic, and the tongue that was spoken in worship was Hebrew. So they were the minority voice, if you will. They were the people that were not represented. And so they complained. And the word for complain here is the word that you find in the, in the desert uh, when they murmured against the Lord. So it's kind of, you almost can feel like a whining is going on here. So there's a way that you might think that they would be overlooked because they weren't really that important in the culture. They were the minority group. They could sound like whiners. And yet, what's the response? Let me read this. They brought together, this is what the apostles did in response, 
to this complaint. They brought together the whole community. That's a big community. Thousands of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven good men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. Their response was to listen, which is incredible right there given the fact that who they're listening to were people that had no voice, no rights, no standing whatsoever, and would have been easy to overlook. But not only that, they make sure that that particular voice and that language is represented in their organization. You may not have been able to tell this, but the seven men who are selected to take care of this are Greek names. So most likely they spoke that language. They were of the same culture, the same group. And so it was built into the organization, central to how they responded, that the listening not only happened then and included them, but continued to happen. So this is the healing movement of the spirit of Jesus Christ. The women mattered. Those who had needs, as we heard last week, Acts 2 and 4, are lifted up. The people who have resources share with those who have needs. That is the way of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this new cornerstone. So their voices are built into the system. Their language, their culture was not assimilated. It was not destroyed, but it was included. It was treasured. You know, this is the movement of Acts as the church continues to grow. And as it continues in diversity, this potential for a hot mess, right? And yet the spirit of Jesus does not minimize or destroy any part of that rich diversity, but includes and honors and builds this rich tapestry, which is the church. I don't know if this has been true for you, but certainly uh, I know for many people there have been lots of conversations going on uh, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, and it's happening on next door, it's happening in families, it's happening in work communities, it's, there's a lot of conversations going on, and one of the conversations that I have been a part of, and I'm grateful because I think people are really trying, I think they're trying to learn, I think they're trying to figure out what to do. And this one person um, who is white said, what are we supposed to do? Listening to the, the concerns and the complaints and the wound of the African-American community. And her question was, you know, am I supposed to go hang out with black people? That doesn't seem right. And actually, it is helpful to have different communities who are with their own people. That's actually worked well. So she was naming what has been easiest, which is to have separate groups. Willie James Jennings, who wrote a commentary on Acts that I highly recommend for those of you that want to do extra credit this summer. It's a phenomenal book, African American. He talks, he has this one little section in there called The Seduction of Segregation. Geographically, to have like a space set apart for those who do things and move around similarly, culturally, to protect the history and the language and the stories, maybe even for safety's sake, to have a separate community. He talks about how it's a seduction because it actually perpetuates inequities, perpetuates fear of the other and the outsider. 
but it's the way we have typically imagined church life. He writes this, the fallacy too many people have accepted is that difference can only be maintained by some form of segregation. And we see in the first half of this chapter 6 in Acts, that is not the way of Jesus. There is not a segregation. There could have been, easily. But Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is incorporating the neediest of the Greek speakers, minority voice, into the community that is the church. Well, let's look at the last half of this chapter. The problem there, let me read this opening verse of that section. Stephen, full of grace and power, his story will continue, by the way, into next week. He did great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, this is the northern part of the African continent, they stood up and they argued with Stephen but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. So who were the freedmen? Well, like their name, they were people who were formerly enslaved. These are faithful Jews of the diaspora from the northern part of Africa, or the continent of Africa. And 100 years earlier, they'd been enslaved and they, they were made free. We don't know the whole story. But here they are, people who were faithful to the Torah and faithful to the covenant and faithful to Israel, to the temple in the hardest of circumstances and could easily think of themselves as kind of the protectors of the truth. They're not God-haters. They are faithful Jews. And yet they felt threatened by Stephen. And this large work that the Spirit of God is doing, the Spirit of the risen Jesus, this inclusive work, so they go on this smear campaign that ends up looking a lot like what happened when Jesus was put to death. And why did they oppose him? We don't really know, and maybe they didn't know, because they're making stuff up, and they're bringing lies into the whole equation. They got caught up in their own defensiveness, bringing Stephen before the Sanhedrin for the court, and wanting him to be taken down. You might say that they got caught up in either-or thinking instead of both-and, which is what the Spirit is doing. You can see it because they can't, they can't best Stephen. So they can't have their way, the freedman worldview, win. And they certainly don't want to join Stephen because then the freedman worldview might disappear, might lose this either-or and they could not see what the Spirit was growing. This both and. Stephen's face aglow, like the face of Moses, like the transfigured Jesus. They couldn't imagine all these diverse cultures and stories together in the risen body of Jesus Christ. And friends, this is the struggle that we see throughout the rest of the book of Acts. All the way to our day and our current situation. I think it's fascinating. You know, could it be that the problem, the most hopeless problem that we are facing today of systemic racism and its solution might be right here in the biblical story? Willie James Jennings writes this, the single greatest challenge for disciples of Jesus is to imagine and then enact actual together life 
Life that interpenetrates, weaves together, and joins to the bone. We have been unable to imagine and enact a together life that flows inside the subtleties and intricacies of people's differences, of such things as language, story, land, and animals. It's been easier to imagine either loss or resistance, loss of difference through assimilation, or its control through conquest, or resistance to its loss through active segregation. How can peoples be joined together, truly joined together without loss, without the death of one people's ways for the sake of the other? This question, he concludes, and its strength lay in our centuries-long inability to answer it. It's true. It hasn't been answered in the church. You've heard the statement that the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning during worship. What we have been able to imagine and enact is separation. And yet, I love what Sean Copeland says. The only body capable of taking us all in as we are with all our different body marks is the body of Christ. That's the hopeless situation that's so hard for us to imagine, but it's exactly what the Spirit of Jesus does. This cornerstone, the way of Jesus Christ that the builders rejected but continues on has been the vision of those who are working faithfully for the kingdom of God today. Years ago, I had the chance when I was in Atlanta to go to the Martin Luther King Center, which was great. And he wrote this because he's his vision, you may have heard this phrase, is the beloved community. That's the description of the imagination that Willie James Jennings was just talking about, what we've had a hard time imagining and enacting, but Martin Luther King did not. He wrote... As early as, or this was written in the center, as early as 1956, Dr. King spoke of the beloved community as the end goal of nonviolent boycotts. As he said in a speech at a victory rally following the announcement of a favorable U.S. Supreme Court decision desegregating the seats on Montgomery's buses, quote, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community it is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. It is this type of understanding, goodwill, that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. It is going to be a miracle, right? You know, as we think about Juneteenth and the celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation, that was a marker that was important. But there's more that needs to happen so you don't just have segregated communities, right? And this is what the cornerstone of God's way is doing, treasuring the different cultures, honoring the different stories, building us into one people without destroying or minimizing other peoples. Is it possible? It seems so hopeless. And yet Jesus saves hopeless cases, hopeless segregation. 
for my birthday, I received a wonderful gift, and it was from a place in Georgia called Koinonia Farm. And I wondered who it was from, finally figured out who it was from, and in this gift there was this dark chocolate pecan bark, yum, granola, coffee, but the best gift is that it came from Koinonia Farm. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was started way back in 1942, but on every single package is the history. And I want to read to you just a little. Koinonia Farm was founded in 1942 by Clarence and Florence Jordan and Martin and Mabel England. You may remember these names because this is where Habitat for Humanity grew out of as well. It was founded, quote, as a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. For them, this meant an intentional community of believers sharing their lives and resources following the example of the first Christian communities as described in the Acts of the Apostles. Love that. Other families soon joined, and visitors to the farm were invited to, quote, serve a period of apprenticeship and developing community life on the teachings and principles of Jesus. From the beginning, Koinonians emphasized the brotherhood and sisterhood of all people. When the community and its guests and workers prayed or ate a meal, we all sat together at the table, regardless of color. This was in a very segregated world, and they were living this integrated life. Our commitment to racial equality, pacifism, and economic sharing brought bullets, bombs, and a boycott in the 1950s as the KKK and others attempted to force us out. We responded with prayer, nonviolent resistance, and a renewed commitment to live the gospel. Ah, Jesus saves hopeless cases, hopeless segregation, including in his way, in his risen body, different cultures, different stories, languages, ways of being in the world, all around the same table, joined at the bone in his body, in his risen body. This does not come from us. It comes from the spirit of Jesus. It comes from not just listening to the news and the wise ones, it comes from hearing the word of God. That's why they couldn't neglect it. Listening is so important right now to the voices of the Hellenists in our day. But listening even deeper and more consistently, what is this cornerstone who is Jesus Christ? What is this hope in our hopeless situations? What does that look like? It looks like his way. Described in the Gospels, described in Acts, may we feed upon this story. May it feed our imagination and our behavior as God's people. Let's pray. God, we praise you that there is hope. We praise you for the faithful ones at Koinonia Farm even today, those who are living faithfully, believing in your gospel and good news with your vision of the beloved community as Martin Luther King Jr. devoted his life. Lord, we pray for ourselves today. We pray that you would fill us with hope. We fill us, fill us with your vision. Fill us with your imagination. Fill us with your spirit that we can faithfully build upon the cornerstone of who you are. In Christ's name, amen.